Hello and welcome to Feminist Fridays, your weekly intersectional dose of self-empowerment and equality. I'm your host, Sarah Liberty, coming to your airwaves from Sydney. And this week we have a guest who is a woman with sense, pun intended. Her name is Natasha Jensen's. And she is an award-winning finance expert and founder of an online education platform for women, Women With Sense. Natasha started this platform to empower women to gain clarity around money and to take control of their financial freedom. Hi, Natasha. Welcome to Feminist Fridays. Thank you so much for having me. So... I would like to start by asking about your background and what it was like for you growing up. I understand you arrived in Australia as a refugee at 18 with no family. Can you tell us more about that? Where did you arrive from and what happened to your family? Yeah, so, um, yeah, despite my Aussie-sounding accent, um, I was originally from the old Yugoslavia. Oh, wow. And so in the late 90s, um, during all the disruption there, um, we, you know, we were at war and mm. my hometown was bombed. And, um, you know, it has a happy story. Everyone ended up okay. Um, but I ended up sort of going on a little bit of an unexpected adventure, so to speak, and, um, and was sort of fleeing the war and the bombs and all that sort of thing and found myself sort of locked out of uh, Yugoslavia and stuck in Hungary and, sort of, um, yeah, the rest is history, really. Oh, my gosh. I had no idea. I've been to Hungary. I've been to Budapest. Fantastic baths. <laughs> yeah, so I was stuck in Budapest for about six weeks and it was a – struggle because I speak you know a, a number of languages or I can make my way around it just yeah. sort of from the Slavic side and I studied French so sort of you know the Italian and the Spanish you know I can make my way around that as well but everyone there would only speak German and it was really really hard to um yeah to sort of survive there and to make my way around oh well we already have something in common well I ich spreche Deutsch and uh, ich parle Francais but uh, I just mixed up two languages there. But I speak a bit of German and a bit of French. But, yes, I, I know my way around a few languages. Um, well, it was a real struggle. Everywhere I went, I'd ask, do you speak English? And, you know, the only response I got was, Sprechen Sie Deutsch? I was like, no, mm, that's the only one I can't do. Nine. Oh. So when you arrived in Australia as a refugee, refugee where did you settle? And I... I'm a human rights advocate and from my professional and academic background, I've worked in the humanitarian and human rights sector for a number of years and I just completed my Master of International Relations at Sciences Po in Paris. I know that many NGOs and human rights experts, both within Australia and abroad, are deeply concerned about Australia's treatment of asylum seekers and refugees, and specifically in relation to our Pacific solution uh, and our placement of people who deserve the right to asylum in detention centres. What are your views on this? Um, I sort of strayed from the original question, where did you settle? But 
what are your thoughts around our current situation and and also reflecting on your own? Yeah, so I settled in Canberra because just before um, the war and everything broke out over there, my parents were posted to Canberra for a long while for work. So Canberra ended up being the last place that I knew before the war broke out. So I ended up landing here and settling here um, from that point of view. So I had a very different and a very isolated, I have to say, refugee experience because most refugees, they, when they come out, they come out with their families. They often will, you know, often entire communities will migrate together as well. But my circumstances were such that I sort of got separated from the flock, so to speak, and Mm. um, ended up here solo. So I had a very different experience to what most people do as well. Mm, Interesting. And your parents were no longer in Canberra? No, so I, and I'm an only child, so you can imagine how that all went down. But um, yeah, so they were um, they were in Yugoslavia, and um, just due to the circumstances, they weren't able to get out. And for my dad, it wasn't safe for him to attempt to cross the border either. Mm-hmm. So um, the only option was uh, for me to go solo. And you know, we didn't know how things would play out and what would happen. And my parents sort of felt that well, safer that I was out of harm's way, so to speak, uh, rather than being like where we were because we ended up being a, a major target. So my town was bombed every single day for a, a couple of months there. So mm. it was quite scary, yeah. And that would have been horrifying. I I can't imagine that. I've lived in cities that have been bomb targets like New York, London and Paris that have had terrorist attacks whilst I've been there. but. I haven't been, you know, in a situation where I've been bombed. So I'm sorry that that happened to you, but you are clearly a survivor. So I know that you today are an award-winning finance expert, but I'm curious to know, when did you first start to think about finance being a career path? What inspired this? And How did you go about building your wealth and independence from nothing? And what was your first job? So I, look, I was always quite interested with money and financial matters. I think partly because of the upbringing that I had and things were very unstable in Yugoslavia and we had things like banks going bankrupt and all that sort of stuff. But um, I remember even as a kid, I, I just loved playing Monopoly and I was always the back, the banker in Monopoly. So the interest was always there from a young age. But coming to Australia, in some ways I fell into it um, because my study was driven very much by, you know, whatever would get me residency really. So I started okay. off with studying software development and by the time I finished it, that IT was no longer as such high in demand and, you know, I didn't qualify for residency there. And then I ended up doing a Bachelor of Commerce in Accounting because accountants were high in demand. And Mm. I just so happened to be working at an accounting practice. So I thought, well, you know, I have a knack for this anyway. And if it keeps immigration happy, then why not go and make it official? So I very much landed into it. And it was just a little bit of a evolution over the years from that when I started adding adding on some additional qualifications as well. Did you work when you were in Yugoslavia? I'm just curious because my first job was at tar- Target as a checkout chick. I, I worked from the age of, I think, 15 when 
the, when I was first legally allowed to, and I, I know that many young Australians sort of do this kind of casual work as teenagers, but what about you? So my first job was actually in Canberra when Dad was here for work. So same sort of thing. I was just itching as soon as I was old enough yeah. um, to go and get a job. I did and I had a job at a local pharmacy as, you know, as a checkout chick. Yeah. And um, and then when we returned to Yugoslavia, I ended up getting not one but two full-time jobs <laughs> um, just because, you know, things there, it was actually unemployment rates were ridiculously high. It was hard to get a job and the pay was quite low too. So I had a morning office job and then I'd finish that up and then I had an afternoon job working at a local video store and I'd sort of work there up until midnight and then go home and get up at the crack of dawn and start again. Okay, so you're a qualified accountant, a mortgage broker and financial planner, as well as the founder and director of Sova Financial. How did you gain these qualifications? And um, as someone who started from nothing, so you studied engineering, then you went on to commerce. You're clearly unstoppable, but was it just kind of... How how did you climb this ladder? Yeah, I I would say I have a bit of an addiction, <laughs> and my addiction mm. is sort of learning, and I seem to have a thing for collecting um, diplomas. So, um, I in addition to those, I ended up also becoming um, qualified in behavioural economics and sort of money coaching and looking at the psychology of money as well. And now I'm studying uh, to become a financial abuse specialist. So it's just something that. Um, I'm sort of fascinated by and I just keep uh, wanting to learn more but um, the financial planning and the in you know the initial journey to all of that was because I had an accounting career and once I sort of settled to Australia and finally eventually eight years later got my citizenship I sort of thought well look I've fallen into this but I wasn't feeling fulfilled with what I was doing and I really felt that I you know I was given this amazing gift to be in Australia and I thought I don't want to um just waste that opportunity. Uh, I want to do something that actually makes a difference. I think it would be sad if I looked back on my life and after the gift that I was given, I said, I just did a job that didn't make me happy, but it was a nine to five and I just paid the bills. So looking at my clients at the time, I found that there was quite a need uh, for financial advice. And it's a challenge that exists today as far as making sure that financial advice is affordable. Mm. So I thought, well, I want to, you know, get into that space and contribute to the solution. But in order to do that and in order to teach people about things like mortgages and offset accounts and even budgeting and all that, you know, it wasn't enough to be an accountant. There's so much red tape that I needed additional qualifications. So I rolled up my sleeves and, yeah, I went on and um, did a diploma in mortgage broking and I did a diploma and then an advanced diploma in financial planning. Uh, just so I could make sure to be accredited. So I spend a lot of time every year between the accountancy and the other two qualifications just doing ongoing CPD and ongoing learning just to make sure that my skills are up to scratch and I can continue to um, do what it is that I do, but I wouldn't change it for the world. So let's talk about your online platform for women, Women With Sense. Uh, I understand you started it to empower women to um gain clarity about their finances and and to get financial freedom why 
did you start this on top of all the other things that you do? So I, I also understand that you have a family and know what it's like to juggle life as a mum with the transition to having a single income household. When did you realise it was your calling to shift the way that women think about money forever? Yeah, it's um, it wasn't something that I always set out to do. And I mm. have to say, even arriving in Australia, I always had male mentors and, you know, studying software development in a time when, you know, there weren't any women in IT. I was always surrounded by men. So many ways they really influenced me and they built up my confidence. But it also meant that I was really ignorant to the challenges that women faced. And it mm. wasn't until... I got pregnant with my son and joined the local mothers group and really started connecting with other women and having those conversations that I started to realize the challenges that are there, not just the practical obstacles, but also even things just around confidence with financial matters. Mm -hmm. So it was with their support, you know, with my mothers group that this whole journey started that, you know, I started saying, well, okay, why don't we create a, uh, at the time it was through Facebook, you know, a Facebook group that was dedicated to just us talking about money so that we didn't spend all our time just talking about, you know, baby routines and feeding and that sort of stuff. Let's have a chat about something else that's um, also just as practical and just as important. So with their help, we started in Canberra. We started sort of catching up at a local cafe and talking money matters. And, um, and over time, they just started to grow. Women from other states started asking, how can we become a part of this? You know, can we buy your slides uh, if you're doing presentations in Canberra? And so at that point, I thought, okay, let's go and take this national. Let's put it online. Let's make it an online platform and let's make it accessible for all women, not just mums. And so that kicked off in 2016 and it's been going from strength to strength ever since. That's amazing. Uh, it's really interesting that it started out as a mother's group talking about practical things to becoming a big, a major national platform. So congratulations. And I'm really curious to know, how do you know that you're having an impact? I've read a bit about your platform and understand that you've helped thousands of women across Australia and beyond, including women facing financial abuse, domestic violence, and who've had a partner die. Um, how do you connect with these women and are there any particular case studies? And just so you know, I'm a woman who's fled a domestically a domestic violence relationship and when I did that, I was forced to become homeless as a result. So, And at the same time, I was starting a business. So I know the incredible stress, both financial, emotional, psychological, that this type of situation can place on the person. So I salute you. But what are maybe some of the ways that you know that you're changing people's lives? Yeah, so it's, um, you know, I really have to thank technology for the, the ability for all of us to connect so easily nowadays. Mm. And the thing that I love about things like Facebook groups is that it enables women to ask questions, but also even to make those questions anonymous if they don't feel quite comfortable to share their story. Mm. And so that's really how I connect with women. I connect with them online. I'll often get private messages and private emails um, with their feedback and their stories. Um, 
and I also, you know, I speak at events and, and do one-on-one things as well. So that's usually when those offline conversations tend to take place. But the stories are so wide-ranging and there's too many of them to, you know, pick just one to um, point out. But the the feedback, to be honest, is what keeps me going. It's, you know, it's been hard work. It's been an uphill battle um, getting Women With Sense to the stage that it is today. And, you know, if it wasn't for the community and for their stories and their feedback that says, you know, this is what this is what we need, this has actually made such a world of difference to my life and my journey, then that's what makes it all worthwhile and that's what powers me to keep going on. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. I I know also that you're on a mission to stop women from prioritising the laundry over their finances. Uh, I personally am someone who hasn't ever found it difficult to ask for money or to put my own financial needs as a priority. I guess that's just my nature. I'm, I'm maybe similar to you in that regard that I just know my worth. But I I am curious, you know, about your thoughts about why you think women prioritize other things in their life over money from and from my intersectional feminist perspective I believe it's because we live in the patriarchal society where unfortunately women not only do paid work but also do more unpaid work than men and I think we need to turn this around stat so how do you think we can go about creating this type of change because it is going to take a huge shift and I believe everyone has a role to play. What are your thoughts? Absolutely. Look, one of the reasons why it's been, in my opinion, why it's been so slow to move that needle on the gender equality is because it's not enough for us to be talking about it. It's about how we role model what we do. Mm -hmm. And so for most of us, you know, both men and women growing up in the majority of cases, um, what has happened is that we've been role modelled different behaviours. You know, mm. for the boys, the role modelling has been the dad is the one that goes off to work and the pressure has been for them to be the providers and to, you know, know how to look after the family financially from that point of view. And for them, it's in a sense they've been fortunate because their stereotyping and their upbringing has prepared them to survive in a capitalist society, which mm. is one that values more that you know dollar value, the revenue that you bring in, rather than the social contribution that you make. Mm. Whereas for women, we were conditioned for the social contribution aspect. We were conditioned to look after everyone else's needs. And today, women are still judged and criticised, you know, for being what kind of a mum are you if you're prioritising your work over your kids? You know, dads don't get that level of criticism usually. It's women who get criticised for that. Women get judged and criticised for not having kids, all that sort of stuff. So it, it's been the upbringing and the role modelling that's said to us, you know what, your existence, your purpose on this earth, your priority is to make sure, yeah, that, that everyone is fed, that they have clean clothes to wear, all that sort of stuff. And so our instinct then is to go and do that. And at the end of the day, especially once you've got kids, most women are then exhausted. It's like, well, who's got time to think about investing or something else? I've got this massive to-do list. Mm-hmm. And it's 
you know, and it's nature to prioritise the urgent over the important. It's the squeaky wheel gets the oil. And so that's why I'm so passionate about getting women to sort of being a little bit of a wake-up call to them and say you cannot afford to do that. It's the same way that we in business have to make sure that we're not focusing just on the admin. We're also focusing on things that will bring us money and wealth and will grow the business. Mm, The exact same thing applies for our personal finances. You can't afford to just focus on the day-to-day stuff that needs doing. You have to absolutely have to make time to look after the big picture stuff including your own financial well-being. Mm, That's really interesting. And I totally agree with you on the point of role modelling. It's not enough just to talk about it. It is important to actually take action and model for other people who may be, you know, looking for support or you might be mentoring them or whatever it is, modelling their behaviour. I think I totally agree with you on that. Another thing we have in common, (laughs) in addition to being outspoken women who are dedicated to creating change, is we're both contributors to Women's Agenda. I read your article earlier this year, it's not a woman's job to have children, it takes a village and policies should reflect that. So I totally agree with you. What kind of policies would you like to see workplaces and the government introduce? And as a woman who is not personally particularly interested in having children at this point in my life, I am still outraged that there are workplaces and other institutions that have working environments that are not flexible and do not support women with families or or people with families, to balance their career and family responsibilities. What are your thoughts on policies that we need in place to turn this around? Yeah, look, um, addressing the affordability of childcare is Mm. a massive starting point and making sure that policies are gender agnostic in that sense because at the moment it's assumed that the mother is the primary carer mm-hmm. and every maternity leave policy, all of those things, even the Centrelink and the government incentives are all aimed at mothers. And mm-hmm. the assumption is, well, you know, it's the mother that's going to stay at home and raise this child. Mm-hmm. So we need to move to a point where both parents are being supported. Men also f- face their challenges as far as they face judgment and lack of policies and all of that sort of support to enable them to be stay-at-home fathers or to Mm. work part-time and to help out with the household because, you know, systems just haven't caught up to that idea, even though I'm happy to see that there's more and more men that are, you know, participating with the household and they do want to be, you know, doing the school run and staying at home during the school, school holidays and all that sort of stuff. So it's about making sure that the workplaces are starting to support that and unfortunately I I believe that the drive is going to have to come from us as the individuals we're going to have to talk with our feet so to speak and just start to refuse to work at organizations where possible you know and opt for those that do have those more flexible work arrangements opt for Mm -hmm. those that do support uh, leave for fathers as well as mothers regardless of whether you're a man or a woman and regardless of whether or not you have kids but if we look for those sorts of workplace arrangements and if more people are drawn to those employers then the rest of them will have no other choice they'll say well if we want to attract talent we have to catch up with the times 
it's the same way that COVID, exp- you know, really proved to us how flexible we can be when we have to be. Mm-hmm. So we just have to make it a non-negotiable and go, you know, no, there are no other alternatives. You know, we have to catch up with the times and we have to support the families in their workload. Mm-hmm. In my experience, in most organisations, it's not a conscious discrimination as p- against parents. It's such, it's more uh, almost like a discrimination against part-time workers. And I think that's reflective of another issue in our society as to under we're all under so much pressure. We're all overworked. We're all impatient. We as customers are just as guilty of it because we want everything yesterday. And so that then pushes workplaces to go, well, you know, I need everyone to be go, go, go. And we can't afford to have that level of flexibility. And that passes on to the people who are full-time going, okay, well, if you're finishing work early to go pick up the kids, I now have to take on an added workload and all that disconnect starts to take place so I think again it's about creating a societal shift about us as customers starting to become a little bit more relaxed (laughs) and we've been used to you can have everything at the click of a button we've got to slow down a little bit and then workplaces have to address their workloads and their culture and go okay if there is a a discrimination or a dislike against part-time workers Where's that coming from? Chances are it's coming from from the rest of the workforce feeling overworked. Mm. Well, okay, we're under-resourced. Let's look at how we are managing things. And that as well will start to drive more of that change. But we have to, as individuals, we have to start to push for that change. It's not going to happen otherwise. It's, you know, it's human nature. Everyone will push things as far as they can manage if they can get away with it. So we have to make it a non-negotiable. Yeah, I think it's you make some really great points. And you also brought up a point of we're living in a very interesting time, which is COVID, and so many workplaces have now shifted to working remotely and people are sort of, you know, got very different working arrangements. But I also wanted to ask you, we, in relation to COVID, with so many people having either lost jobs or aspects of their income or who are facing more financial strain than ever. What are some of your key self-empowering tips to give people the hope and the knowledge that they can still take control of their wealth in these times? I would say the first one is to just run your own race. And what I mean by that is there's so many negative stories in the media out there. It's really easy for us to get caught up in the panic about what might happen and what if this and what if that. Really try and tune out of those if you can. And social media is so powerful now that the more of those stories we read, the more of them it will continue to show us. Mm. And you can start to have a very negative and one-sided view of the world, which becomes quite stressful and quite disempowering. Yeah. So to me, that's the first one is start to drown out all of that. You want to get yourself into a mindset where you are solution focused and you're thinking about what is the possibility. Yeah. If we're talking at the moment about people losing jobs and all the rest, uh, which is really sad and really unfortunate, but there's also opportunities that arise from that as far as there being other sectors that are employing Mm. and as far as government incentives being there to make study you know, more affordable and things like that. So you can start to upskill. You can start to 
you know, it's an overused word in 2020, I'm sure you can start to pivot. <laughs> but really start looking at, even if you haven't lost your job, what are ways that I can protect myself now? What are some ways that I can increase the odds that if I do lose my job, that there's something else that I can go to? So starting to sort of future-proof yourself um, as far as you can from that point of view. And then also remember that you're not in this alone, that there's a lot of support that is available. We are so fortunate that we live in the country that we live in, you know, as bad as things get, you know, Australia on a bad day is better than the majority of the world on its best day. You know, we are so, so lucky to be here. Mm. So remember that there's still support available. There's government support available. You have friends and family and people who will look after you. So, hey, if you have to couch surf for a couple of months, so be it. The priority is to make sure that you've got food and shelter for yourself and for your family. And so, you know, that's where you want to get your inner warrior out and just go, you know what, um, what, do I, what can I do to protect us? So if we don't have sufficient savings at the moment and I'm worried about that, really roll up your sleeves and go, what can I do about that? Mm. Fine, I'll couch surf, I'll house it, I'll do whatever it takes to make sure that I can build that buffer up as quickly as I can. I'll take on extra work while it's available. So starting to do those sorts of things more proactively that will in itself, just the fact that we're doing something just makes you feel more powerful. It's how I survived being here. I just, I, I didn't stop. <laughs> I didn't have time to stop and to think and dwell about things. I just had to go, go, go and do, do, do. Yeah. But that just, you know, it saved me from falling into a heap where I just got overwhelmed by what could go wrong. So, yeah, I think just reaching out to your friends and family and to your social networks and, um, doing what you can focus on that which is within your direct control and try and drown out those negative stories that are out there. I wanted to just lastly ask you, where can my listeners find you and follow the incredible work that you're doing with Women With Sense? So feel free to plug your website, social media handles and anything else you're currently working on now. Well, thank you very much. So, yes, Look us up on social media, Instagram, Facebook, at Women With Sense, C-E-N-T-S. Yeah. And, of course, there's the Women With Sense website, womenwithsense.com.au. That has so many free resources. There's calculators there. There's tips. Um, if you join the mailing list, you'll get an awesome budget organiser as well, which was built with the feedback of the community so you know it's something that's practical and that you can use. And um, within doing that, you'll be invited to our private, you know, members area as well on Facebook so that you can connect with other women and ask any money questions that you have. So we're here to support you and inspire you on your own journey. I had a look at your site today, by the way, and I saw some really amazing case studies and stories. So I'll be signing up to that newsletter. Thank you so much for your time and for joining Feminist Fridays. and. I'm sure our listeners will be following and, and tuning in and w looking at your site. So thank you so much, Natasha. Fantastic. Thanks so much. I really enjoyed our chat. <laughs> Good.